the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Together for Good, brought to you by Baptist Health Foundation of San Antonio. Together for Good exists to recognize and uplift the many people working together for the good of San Antonio and the surrounding communities. Now here's the host of Together for Good, Cody Knowlton. Well, hello, and welcome back to Together for Good. This show is being brought to you by the Baptist Health Foundation of San Antonio as a part of our mission to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Baptist heritage by encouraging and funding health-related programs at area nonprofits and churches. Through Together for Good, we connect our audience to the great work these organizations do in our community. Well, before we get too much further into this episode, I would like to caution listeners that this week's conversation will have references to child abuse and sex trafficking. So please use your discretion as you listen. Well, it's estimated that there are over 600,000 cases of child abuse annually in the United States. Recently, a high-profile child abuse case closed in Utah. In that case, the mother found guilty of abusing her children was a top-rated social media influencer who offered parenting advice and frequently posted content featuring her seemingly happy family. Well, despite the publicity, it took a long time for viewers to realize that things weren't as they seemed and that the influencer was seriously injuring her children. All this drives home the point that child abuse is often happening right before our eyes. But it's obscured by the privacy of the home, the deception of adults, and the vulnerability of children. Today, we're going to talk to someone who has an integral role in bridging the gap between a life of abuse and a hope-filled future. Stacy Dufer has been with the Children's Advocacy Center of Comal County since 2015 and has been the executive director since May of last year. Prior to her work with CAC, Stacy was an advocate for victims of violent crimes with the Comal County Criminal District Attorney's Office. Since her time with the CAC, Stacy has read and processed nearly 13,000 reports of child abuse regarding the children of Comal County. Both her professional and personal involvements reflect an unwavering commitment to making our community a better place for all. Stacy, we are so grateful you are here with us today, so grateful for your time, and so grateful for all you do uh, in Comal County, specifically New Braunfels area. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the major impact you have. Thank you so much. It's actually a, a big blessing to be here and be able to speak on this issue. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, Stacy, can you explain uh, what a Children's Advocacy Center, or as we're calling it, a CAC is, and you know how uh, they function in a community, and you know really what services you provide? Sure. A Children's Advocacy Center is a child-friendly, neutral place for a child to come and give their first official statement about what they've experienced. Um, in that, we have a multidisciplinary approach to the prevention, detection, investigation, and treatment of child abuse. We work in tandem with DFPS and with law enforcement. 
um, and the DA's office and other interagency partners throughout the community, such as CASA, um, residential treatment centers, um, the crisis center. We work with all of those as a team so that way we can provide a multidisciplinary approach to child abuse. So CACs were created in 1982. Prior to a CAC existing, children would have to go to a police station and talk about what happened to them, or they would have to go to DFPS's office and talk about what happened to them. Not Neither one of those places are child-friendly. They do good work, but they're not child-friendly or, or neutral necessarily. So um, CACs were created in order to help prevent children from having to go and give their official statement over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, if something as an adult happens to you, you go to the police department and you give an, a, a statement about what happened to you, usually only that one time. If it goes to court, you might have to say it again in court. Um, but outside of that, you only have to do that one time. So CACs were created in order to try to help children have that same experience. In that essence, law enforcement, CPS, and the DA's office all come to the to the CAC together, and in real time, they watch the forensic interview happening. So they're getting that statement at the same exact time as the child is giving it, but they're doing it in another room, you know, so it's not scary to the child. The questions that the interviewer asks are all age-appropriate um, and developmentally appropriate for each child that we see. Mm-hmm. So in Como County... Our CAC started in 2005 and was a grassroots uh, effort by a, a bunch of people in our community said that we need to do better by children. And so we're here still all these years later, um, and we're happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many children does uh, Comal County CAC serve, and, and how are those children referred to you? Well, on average, we serve about 400 children a year. Um, They are referred through law enforcement or DFPS, so they have an open investigation into what has been happening to them. Um, They set up a forensic interview through law enforcement or DFPS. They come in. uh, We do the forensic interview there at the CAC, and then we refer them to uh, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy right there at the CAC, completely free of charge for the child, as long as the child needs it until they turn 18. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Stacy, what's a common misconception the public has about child abuse? Um, and, and really, how does your organization work to correct that? So a common misconception is that it's not happening. It is a secret, um, and that's what it thrives on. It, it thrives on secrecy, and it thrives on uh, shame. Hmm. And so that is how it is prevalent. But it happens across all demographics, um, all social economic levels, all races, everything. It happens across the board. Um, that is a common misconception that it is out there. So it's, it's happening. So the perception is that it's isolated. Right. Yeah. You know, just right. little. Right. I had a pastor once tell me that, you know, uh, there is no them, only us. And so I think people think that this is a them problem, but it is an us problem. Mm-hmm. What, so what is y'all's organization doing to change that perception? We actually have outreach and prevention um, going on in our community every week. Our outreach director, Shannon Dixon, she is out in the community having conversations with local civic groups. Uh, we talk with the school districts. We actually have conversations with children. Our child fatality review team recently got together and provided a health and wellness fair for the uh, kids at Canyon High School, where they talked about the dangers of fentanyl. They talked about um, abuse and and how to report it and recognize it. They talked about um, suicide prevention for our teens, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about what you wish parents specifically knew about child abuse? Um, it can happen to any child. There, One in 10 children will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. The statistics used to be different. They used to state that maybe 
sexually abused. But now the statistics are stating one in 10. And with that, only half of those cases are reported um, is what they're averaging. So if you go into your child's classroom and they have 30 kids in their class, probably three of those are experiencing or will experience child sexual abuse by the time they turn 18. Wow. Mm, That's so unfortunate. And it's actually more prevalent than childhood cancer. I think they say one in 285 children will be affected by childhood cancer. Um, So some tools that parents can have to help protect their children or help stop abuses occurring with their children is the biggest thing is is listen and, and pay attention. I know that seems like a no-brainer. We all talk to our kids. We all you know pay attention to our kids, but really look at them, look at their behaviors, look at their demeanor when, when certain things come up. Um, and then if your child does say something to you, make sure that your reaction is neutral. If you overreact or you say, oh, I'm going to kill that person, well, then your child's going to be worried. Well, great. Now my parents are going to go to jail and I'm never going to see them again, so I'm not going to say anything anymore. Or if you cry hysterically because you're devastated that something terrible happened to your child, they're not going to disclose anymore because they don't want you to have that reaction again. They love you. They want to protect you. Um, The best thing you can do is listen. Make sure that they know that they can talk to you about anything and they will not be in trouble. Um, That is another huge thing. Uh, Perpetrators often rely on the fact that children are afraid of getting in trouble. So that one of the things they may tell them is if you tell you're going to get in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble. So letting kids know that they can have a conversation with you and keeping those lines of conversation and communication open all the time without fear of uh, punishment is, is super huge for parents. Stacy, I'm just curious, are there any common traits of children that makes them vulnerable to abuse? I don't know if those they're common traits. Like I said earlier, it happens across all demographics, um, all income brackets, cultural, racial. It happens across all brackets. Um, for trafficking cases in particular, somewhere between 88 and 98 percent of all kids who are trafficked have had DFPS involvement in their life prior to the trafficking. So one of the things that we want to do as a CAC, as a network, and as a community is maybe start upstream start tackling those issues in the forefront instead of waiting until it gets uh, all the way to the the end where it's a trafficking case now. What are some key elements to making a child feel safe and comfortable at CAC? And and what are some of the common questions or concerns uh, either they or their parents have? I think one of the ways that we make our building child-friendly is that by design it was created to be child-friendly, right? That's our whole purpose of being there, to be child-friendly and a neutral place for kids to come and talk. So when you walk in the doors of the building, the walls are painted blue, the ceilings are painted blue. It's a very calming atmosphere. We have pretty much every toy that a child could ever dream up sitting in the front lobby that they can play with while they're there. We have uh, incredible family advocates that are there full of compassion and empathy, waiting to, to greet them at the door, provide them snacks, which we get through donations through community members, um, juice boxes. We have TV on with child-friendly cartoons. Um, and just we welcome them in with open arms and have them sit down and, and start to with the process. Mm-hmm. Stacy, does your board uh, makeup have all those different uh, folks on it? It kinda, does. As you've just described, the police and the you know it the does. investigators. So um, by design, our board has to be fifty percent multidisciplinary team partners or MDT. If you hear me say MDT, that's what I'm referencing is our multidisciplinary team. Um, so we do. We have the DA sits on our board. The chief of all the chiefs of police within our county. Uh, the sheriff sits on our board, um, and the program director of DFPS sits on our board as well. 
Can you share a client story? I can, actually. I brought a picture, and I know that we're on a podcast, so people can't see it, but I wanted you guys to be able to see it here. Um, This was a child that came through the CAC. She uh, had a forensic interview and then subsequently got that trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy that we talked about. Um, Trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy is super important for kids who have experienced trauma, um, whether it's through abuse or something that they've witnessed. Um, This type of trauma lasts with you a lot longer than just in the immediate. It's going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. So trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy gives them a way to process that abuse, um, gives them tools to use later in life when this might arise again, which it will. Um, They're able to utilize the tools that they learn in this type of therapy um, at that time. So this child came through, um, and I'm just going to read to you her statement on the artwork that she created for the Children's Advocacy Center. She said, my trauma wrecked my life, like time does to a dilapidated house, leaving it abandoned and undesired. But my house was strong. It was built out of bricks. But it took its hits from self-doubt, self-blame, and self-harm. So I boarded up the windows, and they'd been broken and let the darkness of depression kill a light. In the overcast in the sky, nothing can grow, and I felt like there was no place to fit in, no life, just deep roots of something that was once alive but dead now. As my healing journey began, I started the renovations inside my mind. I replaced the broken windows as I learned to trust again, opening them up and letting people look in and see the beauty there. As I continued to learn to love me, I could see the blooming flowers and the strong roots of hope. This is my bucket of paint. There's a bucket of paint and a paintbrush in the, in the grass here. It's in the garden of my hope. I'm reminded that I'm still in the active process of renovation. I'm reminded of the unfinished, imperfect house and fence. I know I will never be the exact same as before, the damage, nor would I want to be. The new build is not perfect, but it still has purpose. So that's what one of our kids has experienced by being able to come to therapy with the CAC and getting the help that they needed. Mm. Can, can you tell how old that, that This child, child was uh, 17 years old, and she was wow. a victim of child sexual abuse. Wow. Oh. And then, uh, listeners, I wish you could see this picture that I'm, I'm looking at. It's, it's a beautiful picture, very, very well done, again, of a two-story house with a white picket fence and uh, just uh, the perfect setting on a house. Uh, that is being described by uh, a very broken person mm-hmm. that uh, thanks to the work of CAC and so many others, their life is coming back together. So yes. thank you all uh, for what you do. Uh, listeners, if you're just joining us, this is Together for Good, brought to you by the Baptist Health Foundation of San Antonio. I'm your host, Cody Knowlton, and today uh, we're talking about the role of children's advocacy centers in child abuse cases. I'm joined by Stacy Dufer. Uh, the executive director of the CAC of Comal County. Uh, again, please be advised that our conversation will have references to child abuse and sex trafficking, so please use your discretion as you listen. Stacy, your website mentions sex trafficking in Comal County, and as we've uh, just talked about earlier, I think the perception is that's uh, on an isolated uh, basis because, you know, I don't see it. You know, a lot of people don't see it. Uh, so how common is that? And, and how does a trafficking situation usually come to light? So we have two different ways that we come across a child sex trafficking case. One is um, by patrol. Law enforcement will be out patrolling the streets and they'll pull over a car and they'll notice that something isn't quite right with the occupants. Um, and they'll realize very quickly that this maybe 14-year-old doesn't belong with this 35-year-old. There's something weird going on here. And so they'll bring that child in for a forensic interview. And oftentimes we'll find out at that point that the child has been trafficked. Um, 
because we are nestled right between San Antonio and Austin, and 35 is a corridor, right? So mm-hmm. they, there's a lot of travel back and forth that happens that way. Another way is during a forensic interview, maybe of a different type of abuse, maybe physical abuse, maybe sexual abuse by a family member or something like that, a child will make mention that maybe they've met somebody online, um, maybe that they've exchanged um, you know, acts for money or goods, um, and then we'll find out that way that trafficking is coming through. Uh, It is more common than people think. Um, It is out there. It is happening. We want to make sure that people are aware. Um, Teaching your kids to be safe online will have a huge impact in helping them um, to not become victims to those types of predators. making sure you're watching what they're doing, making sure you have access to everything that they're doing, uh, making sure you're very, you have very real talk with them. These things are out there and they are happening. I know it seems weird to have that conversation with a child, but if you have it on their level, which, you know, call us, ask us, we'll help you to have those conversations on their level to make sure that they understand that not everybody is who they say they are and not everything is what it seems. Um, another misconception about child sex trafficking is that it it is very elaborate and it's big. They're going to kidnap your kid at the mall and they're going to take them. Well, yes, those things do happen um, and have happened and not taking away from any one that that has happened to. Uh, more often it is those moments of social media where they may be making friends with somebody online that they think might be 14. They think they might be 18. They have a conversation. They say, hey, pick me up down the street from in my neighborhood, and they pick them up. If they transport them in any way f- in, you know, with the expectation of some kind of exchange is going to happen, that is trafficking. Hmm. It's not always the big, elaborate. Um, international. International, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It happens. I'm not going to take away from that, but. And it's the same thing when we teach our kids about stranger danger. Stranger danger is 100% real. It does happen. But 90% of kids who are abused know their abuser. The family knows their abuser. They've got trust built in with that family, and that's what they're banking on to have access to those children to be able to abuse them. So I I assume that your educational and outreach programs center on – the social media and the internet component. Uh, we do have parts of that yeah. in there, yes. And a lot of it is recognizing and reporting abuse. Um, every adult, once you turn 18 in the state of Texas, no matter what your profession, you become a mandated reporter. If you see or suspect child abuse in any way, you are mandated by the law to report it. Wow. Wow. Well, social media tends to be full of stories about scary-looking strangers in Walmart or weird vans in the residential areas. Uh, I mean, are these things actually a concern for children's safety? They can happen, Um, certainly, just like trafficking. It can be that big, elaborate event, and it can be the van down the street with no windows that looks kind of creepy with the stranger offering you to take a look at their puppy. Certainly, that can happen. But again, 90% of our kids know who their abuser is. They're they're known to the family. They're known to the community. Um, They're banking on the fact that this is a child and who's going to believe a child over an adult that people trust. Mm -hmm. Stacy, can you help our audience understand the characteristics of someone who appears to be um, under pressure or challenged? Sure. Um, So there's no cookie-cutter version of a victim. They can be very different. I think the biggest thing that we need our grown-ups in our kids' lives to recognize is if there's a severe shift in behavior somehow. Um, A straight-A student goes to making, you know, C's and D's, and, you know, someone who's usually effervescent is now not. But also the opposite can happen. If you notice a kid that is trying really, really hard to be 
perfect or trying to make sure that they're masking something. Um, that can also be a, a characteristic. It, it is hard to spot, but I think a lot of it comes down to us as parents and caregivers in children's lives um, to pay attention and to listen. Kids don't always know how to say, hey, something bad is happening to me, but they may give you a cue. Um, I don't want to go over to that person's house anymore when mm. before they used to really love it. Or maybe, you know, uh, they always get a tummy ache if they have to be exposed to someone that they maybe in the past never had any issues with. Those are ways kids are going to tell you, I don't, I don't like this. Something bad is happening. Another thing is that parents need to recognize that kids don't want to hurt their parents um, and they know that this information could potentially hurt them. And so they may hide it for that reason as well. Or they may only give a very small bit of that information. They may only share, you know, I don't really want to go over there. That person makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, when you get into it, it might be more than that. The kids are going to base your reaction on how much they're going to share with you mm-hmm. as well. Stacy, you are probably often asked how you can do what you do. Uh, listening to stories of suffering from children all day. I mean, how do you answer those questions? Uh, Well, if not us, then who, right? Um, A lot of times people who are in this field, they know firsthand the effects of child abuse. So they get into this field so that they can be part of the healing process. Um, Maybe it was a situation where they knew someone, or maybe it was them themselves. Um, But being able to be part of that transformative healing is incredible. Um, And you get to help a new generation thrive. Yeah. So glad you're doing it. How can the community help support your organization, Uh, maybe volunteering or donating, or how can we help you and and point us to a website or a phone number to act on that? Well, our website is www.comalcac.org, and our phone number is 830-626-2543. We do have our Outreach and Prevention Director, Shannon Dixon. She is available at any time to come out to the community and give talks on recognizing and reporting abuse um, and, and what a CAC does. If you want more information about us, she's happy to come out and have those conversations with you. As far as how the community can support us, we always need snack donations. Our kids are hungry <laughs> and they love snacks. And if that is the one thing that we can provide in that moment when they're very stressed out, then we're going to provide all the snacks that they want. We never tell them no, unless they're grown up tells us no, then we never tell them no. Um, another way is obviously monetary support is always important. We are a 501c3, so that's always a, a helpful helpful way to help us out, too. Awesome. Awesome. Stacy, tell us a little bit more about uh, where Shannon goes sure. to do her outreach. So we have several civic organizations within New Braunfels and churches, as, of course, that they uh, request her to come out and give recognizing and reporting abuse talks and sometimes just talks about what the CAC is, kind of like what we're doing right here. Um, she has gone to the Noon Lions Club. She's gone to the Knights of Columbus. She's gone to various churches within the group. She's actually part of um, there is an organization in New Braunfels of area churches, um, and she is part of that. She attends those meetings on behalf of the CAC as well. Uh, we have a really good relationship with the Green United Methodist Church. The The missions group over there is very supportive of the CAC, uh, constantly uh, supporting us at our different fundraising events that we have, and then also providing snacks for our kids as well. Um, the Canyon Lake Pilots group is great. They always are supporting us with either monetary donations for families who maybe can't afford gas money to get to and from their counseling appointments. They'll provide H-E-B gift cards that you can use at the gas pumps um, and snacks as well. But Shannon 
always starts with a conversation with them about what is child abuse, what does it look like, how do you recognize it, and how what we are and who we are and how you can help us. Mm, great. Listeners, I hope you've uh, appreciated and been encouraged by what you've heard here today uh, by uh, Stacy and uh, CAC. And I hope you'll go to their website and look for volunteer opportunities and donation opportunities. Uh, but at the end of the day, I hope you'll pray uh, for CAC. And I'd like to pray for you now, Stacy, as we as we close out our time together. So let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for today, as we always are. And we um, lift up Stacy, lift up CAC, um, and for the great work they're doing in Comal County in trying to stop child abuse. And uh, we pray that uh, an organization like this might need to go out of business uh, uh, because uh, there is no more abuse uh, but, Lord, we, we live in a sinful world, and we know it's it's going to be part of what we get to deal with. So we just lift up Stacy and all that she's doing, and we're grateful for her. Uh, go with us now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Stacy, thank you for coming in today. And uh, before we let you go, uh, we do want to congratulate you and uh, CAC on being the very first nonprofit organization to receive uh, the Baptist Health Foundation of San Antonio's Community Choice Award uh, in the Responsive Grants category, which was given out just last month. And so it was a great time to celebrate not only the grant you were getting, which was tremendous, but then you kind of got a doubling of that, which was uh, also tremendous. So uh, that honor, again, was uh, given to you, and you received the most nominations by other nonprofit organizations in our community. So congratulations on that. We're just so excited to see the award and accompanying financial gift uh, go to you guys. Thank you so much. It, It means so much to us. We all do amazing work in this community, all of the nonprofits that are here and and our communities and it was it was a great honor to be nominated it was a great honor honor to win and we are so incredibly thankful Hmm. well stacy you were specifically mentioned in one of the nominations as someone who embodies the mission of the organization and we're so pleased to have you with us today uh, to be the very first so listeners we're grateful for you always grateful you're listening to us we hope you've been encouraged by the work we do here and the work that our community partners in the nonprofit spectrum uh, achieve to improve the lives of our neighbors as always you can catch our episodes anywhere you get your podcast or by visiting baptist health foundation of san antonio's website bhfsa.org forward slash together for good we'll be back next week with another great conversation about health matters and the work of our nonprofits in our area god bless and take care everyone Thank you for tuning in today for Together for Good. We hope you've been encouraged, uplifted, and inspired. Until our next time together, may the Lord bless and keep you. And in all things, to God be the glory. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.